thought you did great. Honest. Don't do that. Pretend that you don't know. People see you. They notice. Do you know how lucky you are? I'm a ghost. Hello, listening people. Hee-ho. What was that? It was an otherworldly hello. Hello. You should have said hello backwards in a spooky voice. I did that once. It was for Firewalk with me. I know, and you should have brought it back because it would have been spooky scary. But I guess not. Instead, the spooky scary is what movie we'll be covering for this edition of Pictures Powwow, our show in which we talk about a movie that's come recommended. And since it is October, we are covering your darker type of movies, your spookier types, your more horror-leaning or thriller-leaning or just, in general, October-feeling type films. Have we Uh, said our names yet? What was that? Have we said our names yet? Do we need to? Maybe. All right, I'm I'm not Bartek, and that's no, not, not Ryan. I'm not Ryan. So, I recommended the movie for this episode. I recommended the film The Neon Demon, made by Nicholas. I think it's Winding Refn. I've again heard it pronounced Winding and Winding, but I think it's Winding Refn. Which one sounds more Danish? I don't care. He's the Danish, refin- right? What was that? He's Danish, right? I I think. I think I, so. He's annoying. That's what he is. As a person, <laughs> you have not lived until you've seen his interview with William Friedkin, in which William Friedkin is saying, like, even just today, like, it's still hard to believe that people think that his film The Exorcist is a classic. Like, he's like, I think it needs more time for that really to sink in, while Nicholas Winding reference like, yeah, my film Drive from two years ago. It's a, it's, it's, it's bigger than Citizen Kane. <laughs> He's like one of the most egotistical men I've ever seen. Oh, but we'll get into him and his personality. Uh, so the Neon Demon from 2016 is what we're going to be talking about. Bartek, um, before we delve into our history and all of that, um, could you tell the listening people that they should go check this out before we discuss it? Yes, uh, listening people, you should go check this out before we discuss it. For what reasons? For the reasons of fact that there will be spoilers in this episode. And if Mm. you watch the film while knowing the spoilers, it might uh, detract from the experience. Yeah, and uh, that's that's it. So make sure to go ahead and give this a watch because we are going to be talking about the details. So, 2016, The Neon Demon. What is your history with this film, Bartek? Never seen it, never heard of it uh, until you recommended it last week. Okay. Um, were, are you familiar with the director and any of his work? Not really, no. I've heard a lot of people talk about Drive, but I haven't actually seen it. So you haven't seen any of his films? Not that I'm aware of. Okay, fair enough. But you are aware of him, though? I am now. 
but like of his stuff, like you know about Drive, of course. Mm-hmm. Drive was a pretty big, like Drive is probably one of the like not to toot winding reference horn or anything, but Drive was a very big and kind of influential movie for uh, the 2010s in a lot of ways. A lot of movies kind of really took from that and really got yeah, a lot I, from that. I could tell when my younger brother, who isn't as big on movies as we are, was like when I told him about Neon Demons, like, oh, isn't that by the guy that did Drive? So yeah, there is clearly a more mainstream appeal with that one. It launched a lot of things. Uh, like, not, not. I'm not just saying this was the only one that did it. Though, of course, there's lots of other factors. But it gave us Ryan Gosling as a silent, brooding protagonist type. Like, that's pretty much the apex of Ryan Gosling doing that type of thing. The kind of ultra violence, but also that mixed with kind of the sentimental, sappy side of the story. Like the great juxtaposition, the way like that movie executes that, but also the 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 color palette of that movie those kind of blues and pinks that obviously transfer into this movie in a lot of ways and that kind of 80s synth wave throwback type of music um mm. and many other factors as well uh cool driving sequences i mean uh baby driver and driver have a lot in common but they're very different films but uh yeah winding refn is um an interesting fella to say the least and his movies are very very kind of visual. He doesn't really do a lot of dialogue a lot. He kind of just lets sequences play out, lots of interesting lighting, lots of interesting uses of slow motion or fast. And uh, I personally like um, his film from 2008, Bronson, which to me is Tom Hardy's best movie. And if you want to see Tom Hardy deliver probably his greatest performance in his filmography you want to watch bronson bronson right is amazing okay not venom not venom no 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 and and i'm not kidding he is huge like physically huge as bronson like bane fucking tiny compared to bronson okay and he's got a big mustache in the movie too because bronson's also based on a true story about uh, uh, the Britain's most violent criminal, like violent prisoner. And it, yeah, you, you'll want to watch Bronson. It's very funny as well. But uh, I, I saw this movie, The Neon Demon, when it came out. I did not see it in the cinema, but I did see it eventually because I was interested in seeing it because I had just watched Bronson for the first time around that period of time. I had watched Drive. I had seen Only God Forgives. So... I've seen quite a few of his uh, movies, and my general relationship with them were I either liked them, or if I didn't like them, they left a big impression on me. Mm-hmm. And I was really, really keen on seeing his newest movie, The Neon Demon, because it looked a little different. Uh, having a female-centered story is very different for him. He, you know, follows male characters in male-dominated worlds, like Bronson has underground fighting and criminality, and Drive is about, like, crime guy who drives for the uh, drives for these criminal people, and, and Only God Forgives, again, kind of like boxing scenes, so I was interested, too, to see how he would handle telling a female-centric story, where our lead character is a woman, but also it is in the world of modeling, which is, of course... Uh, you know, very um, feminine-centric. So I was 
really wanting to see how he would handle that. Would he handle it well, or will he be kind of like Quentin Tarantino in Death Proof, where all the female characters just sound like a guy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or sound just like him? Um, like with Death Proof, I love Death Proof, but all the women just sound like Quentin Tarantino speaking and not a woman at all. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the trivia for this movie was talking about how he wanted to nail uh, the female dialogue and he even got some of the actresses to work on it. Yeah, uh, so I saw this when it first came, like when it came out, and it left me with a lot of feelings. I. <laughs> kind of loved and hated it when I saw it. I mm-hmm. remembered being very frustrated at lots of points on that watching of it, that first watching. There was lots of points where the movie was trying my patience, characters were making decisions, but at the same time, there was a part of me that was familiar with his work, but also a part of me that was just judging it on its own merits that really... I really stunned me, I was really blown away by, really fascinated by, and the thing that was a constant with me, I have not watched this movie until now, until from that first watching, so this is my first rewatch of that movie from 2016, but yep. it left a big impression on me, out of all of his films, it's probably the one that's left the biggest impression on me, because I think about this movie a lot, it just, visuals pop in there, and character choices, and Things about this movie have just kind of lingered in my brain since that first watch of it. And I've been really, really, really wanting to rewatch it. I bought this on DVD earlier this year and I said, no, 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 I'm going to leave this for the spooky month because I think that this movie would be really interesting to talk about and talk about on the pod. So I've been delaying watching this even longer because it's been in my possession as well. I've been looking yeah. at it on my DVD shelf and I'm just like, I want to watch it but saving it for a special occasion. Oh yeah, and Bartek, the DVD case, and I love this, this is dedication. The DVD case, the actual case, is a sickening bright pink. So it really pops out of my shelf when I look at it. <laughs> like even the spine? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a sickening oh. bright pink. <laughs> well, nothing says horror like pink. Well, sometimes, I mean, The Loved Ones had pink in it, and it was quite horrific in that movie. That's true. But I was left really struggling after that first watching of it. I loved aspects of it, and I hated others. And um, Winding Refn as a director, I think a lot of the times, you know, with his visual style, I think he he is a provocateur in a lot of ways, and I think uh, he really is trying to, you know, really prod you and leave you with an emotional reaction in some way, shape, or form, whether you're going to be pissed off or enriched, you know, like a David Lynch type in a way, where David Lynch kind of does that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the film that really successfully did that for me, in which it left me with a lot of feelings. The other ones, I enjoy them. Like Drive, I want to talk about Drive on the Pod one day because I have weird feelings about that movie. But, and Bronson, I just loved Bronson. I was like, oh, that was fucking awesome. <laughs> but this one, I just... I was like, I've got to rewatch that movie to see how I feel about it. How did you feel about this movie, Bartek? Um, I'm a lot more in the definitive disliked it, um, <laughs> but I can't really dismiss it as like a bad movie or anything like that because I think there's a lot of elements that were at play for me. Like I didn't know 
the director's style. I didn't really know what type of movie I was mm. in for. Um, and I feel like if I did end up watching it again, not that I'm too keen on doing so, but if I did, I think maybe I would get a bit more out of it. Well, what did you dislike about it? Because I got to say, I was also keen on watching this because I had a feeling I don't think Bartek would like this movie very much. Yeah, you, you kind of nailed that that uh, feeling. <laughs> um, you said it earlier, there was a lot of trying of my patience going on, especially towards the end. Um, a lot of scenes that were, you know, very darkly lit or not lit. Um, not oh. as much dialogue as I was expecting, a slow pace, um, a lot of the visual scenes, while interesting, I wasn't really getting much out of them in terms of what I was supposed to recognise, a lot of imagery and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's necessarily, I'm not into this type of thing or if things went over my head, but yeah, it, it tried my patience a little bit, but, um... Mm. That being said, it took me until like 10 minutes left in the film to do the classic, how long's left in this thing? <laughs> so I just want to address some of the things that you said. So mm -hmm. I, I'm interested to know. So you said like, like, especially the end of it was really kind of trying your patience. I remember on my watch, it was quite the opposite, where it was the first half of that movie was really trying my patience. And I remember vividly, when it switched over to me, which is when she, I guess, transforms, in which you have that visual sequence of her um, uh, with the um, doing the modeling show, and it uh, is her looking at herself being afraid in that kind of black void, and then it cuts to the new her, you could say, with the mirrors, and she's like kissing herself in that like uh, tunnel of mirrors or like that archway yeah. of mirrors. And I remember from mm -hmm. that point on, I was with the movie. The first half, I wasn't. And I remember when I finished the movie, the ending was what I... Like, the, the last act of the movie was what I was like, oh, man, I wish the movie was more of this. I love this of the movie. But you sound like you weren't on board with it in that way that I was. How come? Yeah, maybe the shift uh, just didn't work for me. Maybe if the whole film was a bit more like how it ended... That would be a bit more interesting for me. I do remember that the first uh, first two thirds, I guess we can say, was a bit slow paced, but at least I was kind of understanding everything that was going on. You know, we're being introduced to mm. our main character, we're learning everything about her, we're seeing how the, you know, the Los Angeles world that she is going to reacts to her and how she reacts to it. So there was stuff going on there and there was potential for, you know, what's to come. Um, and then I remember towards the end, I think it's around the time, probably around the time she throws Jenna Malone out of the bed after she tries, you know, going mm -hmm. down on her, um, going down on her, sleeping with her. Um, mm. Around then, I think that's when the whole abstract tone of the last third of the film kicked in and I just wasn't... I just wasn't really recognizing what was going on. It was really slow paced, really dark. Mm. Um, and then until it got to like the last scene where everything was lit and they were talking, I like kind of in retrospect understood everything that happened. Okay. It, yeah, we, I was fairly lost throughout the ending, but okay. Yeah, but it was interesting. I I can't fault it on that at least. Yeah, I know we've jumped to the end, but it's it's just so striking to me that you found. 
the end abstract in comparison to the other sections of the movie. What about it was abstract and confusing to you when you were when you were watching it? I think it might have just been most of like the dark scenes that were happening. Like I couldn't really tell what was going on in a lot of them. Was it really and that think, dark for you? Like, I don't know. I, I was. I mean, it's a visual film, and I was just looking at it and not really seeing much. Maybe it was the copy I had. I don't know. Which sections in particular? I'm just keen on knowing because they they obviously did have uh, like darkly lit sequences. But when I think of this movie, I think of like the black void sequences and then like bright reds and bright bright blues and you know the neon in the neon demon but yeah i think it was the the whole climax where she, the main character was getting killed off and eaten okay yeah i don't know i didn't think it was too like i didn't think it was as dark like again maybe it was a copy i don't know or maybe i'm just more familiar with these type of um, visual type of films. I'm not saying you aren't, but I, I've watched a lot of David Lynch films. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, I am not saying that this is a David Lynch type movie. They do have their differences, but I didn't think it was visually as dark where I was like, oh, what's happening? I was kind of like, oh yeah, they're hunting her down. Seems pretty pretty cut and dry. Like That's always like, a bit confused when you say abstract. I'm like, uh, it seems pretty cut and dry. It's like, she fucking annoyed them and now they're hunting her down in this mansion and they kill her and eat her. They don't eat her on screen. They imply that. But, um, you know, they're bathing in her blood and whatnot, but you don't see them, like, eating her arm or anything. (laughs) You know, they throw up her eye later. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was was just like, to me, that was a thing when I first watched it. That was the most concrete thing. I was like, oh, okay, so they, okay, this is the horror movie aspect of this horror-type movie. Okay, fine, I understand it. Like, we're watching the this doe-eyed character become corrupted by the world she inhabits and egocentric to the point in which she, um, you know, has fallen from grace and she has um, poisoned everyone around her, her boyfriend, these women, uh, you know, other people in the movie and all of that. And she meets her comeuppance from these people that she should not have messed with. And I was like, okay, seems pretty cut and dry. Like at the end, yep, they eat her because um, we'll talk about that stuff. But to me, I was like, okay, the ending for for me on both watchings, like this was the least abstract part of it. The other parts of the movie early on, the earlier parts of the movie were the little bit more abstract parts to me on that first watch in particular. The second watching clarified a lot of things. Yeah, maybe maybe all the abstract stuff leading up to that kind of programmed my brain to think like, oh, is this like a metaphor? Is this a dream sequence? What's going mm. on? But but like I said, in retrospect, it all made sense. So I was like, oh, okay, that was all literal. Uh, uh what were some of the other things you mentioned that didn't work for you about this movie? Because I'm really keen on talking about talk about that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, it would have been the slow pace and the minimalism of the dialogue which mm, again, mm. again i can't really say that that's an objective fault of the film but maybe just because i walked in not expecting that and mm. you know it is a long film so maybe maybe it was just the headspace i was in you know i gotta say this paired up pretty well with perfect blue if i'm gonna be honest with you <laughs> when i think when i think of it on a more deeper level there are similarities yeah but stylistically a lot of differences of course of course but yes. that's good because they don't need to be the same movie. Um, yeah. 
I understand the slow pace aspect that you discuss. I felt that on my first viewing of it as well. I remember vividly the scene that I felt was so long and so arrogantly long. I was like, oh my fucking god, I get it. I get it. Can we move on? And for some reason, when I rewatched it, I was like watching the scene that I'm going to mention, and I, and I was watching it going, what the fuck was I thinking when I was watching it the first time? Which is the scene in which they go to, uh, I want to say, is it a diner or whatever, and the photographer man is there talking about what beauty is, and the boyfriend mm-hmm. is arguing with him about it, and then the boyfriend guy leaves. Yeah. That sequence, I remember when I first watched it, that sequence was trying my patience so hard because of how the slow pace the movie felt to me um, when I first watched it. And that was the scene in particular that was really driving me up the wall on that first watch. Did you have a kind of scene or sequence that was trying your patience when it came to the kind of slow, methodical pacing? You know what's interesting is I, I'm connecting strongly with what you're saying about your first viewing, but that scene in particular was one of the ones I actually liked. From this film, um, I guess a lot of the a lot of the uh, like abstract dialogueless scenes are the ones where I got, you know, my patience tried a bit because, like I said before, I wasn't really getting anything from them. Mm. Um, but that scene in particular stood out for me because it was a very dialogue based scene, mm. and uh, it did make the characters question uh, some of their morals. And mm. even though the boyfriend character is trying to be seen as a more like uh, I guess audience surrogate character because he's talking about you know the beauty within and that's mm. a lesson that we all know. Um, he does at the very end you know get a kind of taxing question like, "Oh, you probably first noticed her you know physical attributes." Yeah. Um, and even though that photographer character, or th- sorry, he's the runway model character, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he um, that character's very, I guess blatant wears his personality on his sleeve but um mm, a lot not of subtle not subtle that's the right word um but a lot of the things about him you know are very kind of apt like uh when he first when he first addresses the boyfriend is like hey i need your opinion and he says uh you know you've met this woman who i'm about to make you judge right <laughs> and um the conversation that ensues after that is about how um, you know, the boyfriend character isn't looking just at, uh, at her beauty, at her physical appearance. And the, the runway guy talks about how beauty is everything. Yeah. And when he says that, it puts into perspective that line where he says, you know her. And the mm. guy said, you know, I just met her. He was saying that like, oh, you've seen her beauty, therefore you know her. So, mm. you know, kind of added a bit more depth to what was just kind of like a throwaway line yeah. initially. I, I, I thought that was very interesting. And I agree. Like, on this rewatch, that scene, pacing-wise, felt so much better than the first time for me. I don't know what it was. I just... There were so many aspects of this movie that changed for me on this rewatching of it. And that one in particular, I remembered thinking, I hated this scene. I think at the be- when I first watched it, I think it was, I felt like, okay, I'd gotten into the groove of the movie, which was what you didn't get into, which is it's visual storytelling, it's not using a lot of dialogue, it's letting character actions and moments and aesthetic 
and imagery and all this kind of stuff tell its story and evoke a feeling. And then this is yeah, the and, scene. And in, this was a conventional scene. And this one is not just a conventional scene, but a pretentious scene in which it's very on the nose telling you what the thesis of the movie is. And when I first yeah. saw it, that's what it felt like to me. It felt like Nicholas Winding Refn sat down and said, oh, you guys aren't getting it. Here's what the movie is. That character mm-hmm. is me. I'm Nicholas Winding Refn as this character. Like, that's how it felt to me on the first watching of it. But on this rewatch, that scene really improved and it was probably one of the, my favorite scenes on this watching of it. And it really did improve, but it, I found it really trying that first time. And I was just keen on knowing what scene, like, is there a particular scene to you that you had that feeling of like, oh, this is really trying or why is this even here? Or this feels perfunctory or anything like that. Is there like a particular one that you can conjure up in your brain? It's difficult to say since it was mostly like the stylistic stuff. It'd be anything that's comparable to say, you know, the the scene where she is kissing her reflection, thing like mm. that, or or the scene where they keep showing that upside-down three-triangle thing. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Just a lot of those, because I was watching it and just either not getting it or thinking it's pretentious. Just Yeah, it, it just wasn't connecting with me. Um, and then, of course, you have the scene, like the one we just discussed, where I actually did enjoy it, and the other scene I especially enjoyed was the one in the bathroom. Oh, with the mirror, yeah, with the with the with the smashed mirror, yeah. That was a scene that stuck with me because the weirdness of her just like sucking on her bloody hand, and it was like ugh. Yeah, I and I really liked her lines in that scene just before the sucking of the blood, where um, yeah, she had that one line where she was describing herself as a ghost, yeah. and for whatever reason, even though I wasn't quite with the film, that line, you know, I I, I quite enjoyed that line. Well, I, I think like there's a lot of emotion in it. Well, I think it rings true for several reasons. Obviously, let's talk about the meta reason. One of the meta reasons is that that's Abby Lee, who is a real life model. And there's just kind of like, you know, there is a realness to her saying that because she probably does know what that feeling is like and or has met people who have gone through this process of, you know, these beautiful women who eventually get faded out of the business and uh, they are basically a living, breathing ghost of what they used to be until they are just completely abandoned altogether. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what makes that line, those those conversations work is the, the build-up that was the previous few scenes in which we see her basically get humiliated in front of everyone trying to appease the runway model guy and our main character doesn't even have to do the walk really well like we barely even see her do the the walk on screen like half of her walk is just showing the reaction from abby lee just looking annoyed so we kind of have that sequence beforehand in which we're seeing abby lee that character um, go through this process of just being becoming irrelevant. So then when we have that conversation in the next scene, it does hit more because even though we don't like her character necessarily, we do have basic form of empathy, unlike our main yeah. character who has no empathy by the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. for that, that model character, up until she started getting humiliated, was basically just a you know, typical bitch character. Yeah. Yeah, but then also, like, um, to talk about that character just a little bit, I want to save her for a bit later, because she, she's the one that kind of has a big thing at the end, of course. But they also have those moments a bit before where 
she's kind of like the most honest character in a way mm-hmm. where she just says what's real, like who you're fucking because here's why, and they list all the reasons why that's important in this world, and then they have her at the diner talking about, like, you know, ordering food. It's like, you're not going to eat that, and all that. Like, she's kind of the cynical one out of the three of the of the evil women in the movie. Her, you know, Jenna Malone, the other model, and her. She's kind of, mm-hmm. like, the most real person out of the three. Like, we have the other one who's a literal bionic woman, as they say, and Jenna Malone, who seems like she's nice and real, but that's just an act. It's a facade, um, as we learn later in the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. So Abby Lee, when she has that sequence too, in which she's talking about, you don't, like, I'm a ghost. How does it feel to be the center of everyone's attention when you walk into the room? There's a vulnerability there because even though she's a bitch, she's kind of like the one of the few people in the industry that's kind of real, just a tad, mm-hmm. for the yeah. tiniest bit real. <laughs> yeah, and she's she's representing the the suffering that's in store for the models when they start to become irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. Um, I uh, so this rewatching of it. Uh, and I don't know if this would happen for you if you ever did rewatch it, but um, the pacing flew by. The movie okay. flew by for me on this rewatch. I was shocked. I was like, oh, it's going to be longer feeling because I know how it's going to play out. But when watching it again, I, I was shocked when I was watching it and I finished it and I looked at my wife, Rachel, and even she was like, that felt like really quick. That felt like it went by really 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 quickly and that was a that was a surprise because it is a slow methodical movie it has lots of sequences without dialogue and it's just strobe lights effect and characters staring at themselves and keanu reeves is in the movie and we'll talk about him as well because he's yeah, fun he is, yeah. <laughs> was this also rachel's rewatch yeah we we watched it together the first time we watched it together the second time mm-hmm. and I don't know if it is one of those things that it may benefit from a rewatch in terms of these issues. Maybe it was just for myself. Um, I was also looking forward to rewatching it, so that also benefits my viewing experience. But since I knew what was in store for our character, and I, since I knew what our character was going to do and become in the movie, I didn't get mm-hmm. as frustrated with Elle Fanning's character. And I was noticing what the other three female characters were doing like i was noticing what jenna malone's character was like did you expect jenna malone's um like did you expect jenna malone to be such a fucking evil bitch (laughs) and crazy i mean one of the things you pointed out last week was that she does go crazy at some point in this but it took a long time to get there Mm. so i was very much used to the fact that she was you know this seemingly like one of the nicest characters in the film yes so it did throw me off when the twist happened the turn yeah on my rewatching of it i'm just noticing like oh oh she's she's luring her in like i was looking at little things jenna malone was doing like there's that sequence which they go to watch a show and it's like someone doing a weird contortionist act in the middle of the black void and they're lit in the red lighting and whatnot. And there's a strobe effect going on in which Elle Fanning looks back at Jay, um, Jenna Malone and smiles and Jenna Malone gives her like that, yeah, 
this is cool, kind of smile. Hee hee hee, ho ho ho. And then mm. Elle Fanning turns back and the camera's focused on her. Jenna Malone is now kind of faded in the background. She's not in full focus. But as soon as Elle Fanning turns around, Jenna Malone just drops that smile instantly. Like 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 an actor. Like I'm not I'm done now. Kind of like the guest, honestly. <laughs> like how Dan Stevens <laughs> just shuts down. Jenna Malone does that a lot of times in this movie, but not as overtly as Dan Stevens did in the guest. They were doing different things. But I was noticing just these little things Jenna Malone was doing as this character that were hinting at a, a facade being put on. Like she is the makeup artist after all. Um, she's the one that puts on their faces and everything. And mm-hmm. I was really appreciating that character a lot more in this watching of it. Cause I also did not like the necrophilia scene on the first watch. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I was like, fucking, I get it. You want to be shocking, Nick? You want to be shocking? I get it. This watching of it, I was like, oh no, no. And I, I, I okay. Okay. I, yep. This kind of, I get it now. I, I'm like, okay, I'm on board because on my rewatching of it, I knew that Jenna Malone was, you know, a wolf in sheep's clothing and it benefited that for her, for me knowing that. Yeah. You weren't the only one on board. She was boarding the, uh, the, the dead body. <laughs> That's my joke. Did you have, what were things that you did enjoy about the movie? If anything, ah, uh, well, speaking of which, I did enjoy Jenna Malone quite a lot she, because she was quite this, uh, you know, obviously it was a pretense, but she was this kind of light in the film. She, she seemed sympathetic. She was very empathetic, and yeah, she had plenty of dialogue going on. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, I, <laughs> I know you're Mister. Oh, I don't hate movies. I try to find the best situation in them. But it's just so amusing hearing you. And since I don't have you physically here to see you, it just feels mm-hmm. so much like, so Bartek, what was something you like about the movie? And you're like, through gritted teeth, you're like, I like scenes with dialogue in it because I like dialogue in movies. <laughs> like, I mean, it, I just feel like it didn't work for this film in particular. That's all I'm saying. And I'm And I don't want to call this a bad film because I recognize that there are things about it that are good. And even though like 20 minutes ago, I was sort of alluding to the fact that I might not be keen to check it out again. I have to admit so far, I'm starting to turn on the idea that maybe I do want to check it out in the future because it seems like a rewatch really would be beneficial. Well, what about it? Do you think just telling the story with visuals more than dialogue didn't work in its favor? Like, how does dialogue being added to this improve it? I don't know if it's necessarily that it has to be dialogue. It's just that a lot of the visuals didn't really register with me. Like I said, there were just these long scenes where things were happening that I didn't understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that dialogue would have fixed it, but, you know, dialogue would be something that I would understand. Yeah, yeah, I get that. And... And that's why I'm trying to garner like specific kind of visual sequences you're talking about that that you you didn't get an understanding of why that was there. Like to me, yeah, when I think like, of visuals in the movie, they're very obvious ones that are like okay, like when she's leaning against the wall, listening in onto the horrors happening next to her, and you have that shot where it pans out and it's like 
her silhouette on the wallpaper and like that spotlight of her listening and it just kind of zooms out and she's becoming smaller and smaller and then it's a phone call to her and Jenna Malone. I was like, okay, that visual is very interesting and it makes sense mm-hmm. for what's happening. Yeah, th- I agree with that one, yeah. And those are the kind of things that, that I think of visually that I'm like, okay, like like I said, the what I think of as the character turn scene or transformation scene or really character fall of her and her looking at herself in that archway of mirrors and her kissing herself in the mirrors. To me, when I first saw it and on this watching of it as well, I was like, to me, this is a very obvious visual representation of our character flipping into being this egocentrical egocentric driven person she's no longer the innocent doe-eyed girl who's just moved to town now she is the most popular woman in town and she fucking knows it and i thought when i saw that sequence i was like visual like yeah this is a great way to show it another filmmaker would have showed it visually with a series of montages of like can you imagine the Gary Marshall version of the Neon Demon, in which it's, <laughs> in which it's like that sequence would not be her in a black void looking at mirrors and kissing herself to show that she's in love with herself, but instead it would be like her in a series of different runways being done with jaunty music or sinister music, and then like the spinning magazines flying at the screen. It's like, oh look, she's on this, and she's on Vogue, and she's on this one. <laughs> yeah yeah like a lot of musical conventions yeah 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 um so that's why i'm trying to garner like what were some of the kind of visually told sequences that you just felt like what was that like confused by yeah well like i mentioned the one of the triangles earlier oh yeah yeah the triangles uh yes the random purpley ones i want to say they were purple Kind of ones where it just kept coding yeah, to them. Yeah, purpley pink. It was like an upside down Triforce. Yes. Well, um, mm, I kind of, yeah, with sequences like those, I, I relate them to the kind of witchy occult aspect that this movie introduces later on with our three kind of witchy characters, it seems like. Yeah. Um, so when I see sequences like that, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Like uh, in the kind of occult world, the triangles and all that kind of have symbolism and regards. And I kind of saw sequences like that of kind of her being lured in by their world of debauchery and stuff. Yeah, I guess it's another retrospective thing. Yeah, well, the movie, the movie does want you to think about it. And that was one of the things that I did love about it is when I first saw it, like, again, I was kind of like you in a lot of regards. I found lots of things annoying and f- trying. And I was like, what the fuck? But it did make me think. I was like, afterwards, I was thinking about it. I was like, what was that? And, oh, in retrospect, that actually kind of, okay. And then when little things like that built up in retrospect, I was like, hmm, well, well maybe the other aspects of the movie that I didn't like would change in retrospect and or a rewatch and luckily for me it did mhm um did you what did you think about keanu reeves turning up in the movie <laughs> yeah i when he when i saw his name in the credits that was a very interesting moment it's like oh keanu reeves is in this um and he plays a rather sleazy motel owner i mean i know it's clearly keanu but didn't it feel so not like Keanu? Like, he had a different voice. Like, it was still his voice, but he was so much deeper than his usual voice. And 
he just, I just don't think of him ever playing characters like this, ever. Like, even Johnny Mnemonic, in which he's playing a sleazy, uh, selfish asshole, he's still, like, the Keanu Reeves action hero. I just don't associate Keanu Reeves with characters like this, and I think he actually pulled it off really well. He did, I agree. I don't think Keanu Reeves is a great actor, nor does he, but I think he's a great entertainer, and I found him very entertaining. Wish he was in it a bit more. Uh, a part of me thinks I would like that, but a part of me goes, I only would want that because it's Keanu, and it's True. kind of a novelty, but like, would we need his character more in the movie? I think he kind of served his purpose. It, that is true, yeah. Like, it's like saying, remember when we watched Coneheads, right? This is a throwback. In Coneheads, they had Kramer play the similar type of character, the hotel owner, the motel owner. Like, but did we need more of that character? No, because it served mm-hmm. its purpose. But it would have been cool because it's, it's Kramer from Seinfeld. And it's kind of like, I know that sounds silly, but it is like... Do we need more of his character? No, not really. But it would have been nice because it was weird seeing Keanu Reeves in this type of film, doing this type of performance. Yeah. But did it throw you off at all that it was Keanu? Because it is Keanu. Like, sometimes that could be throw you off in movies like this, in which this movie is going for a darker, serious energy, and then here's a wacky guy just in it? Uh, no, no, I, it, it worked for me. It took me a moment to recognise that it was Keanu Reeves, but once I did, I I rolled with it. <laughs> did you have a favourite Keanu moment? <laughs> Him yelling about the Lolita in room... What 214. Was it, like 412 or something? 214. Uh, <laughs> that was funny. I remembered, I remembered him saying... 214, gotta be seen. Uh, and then when he said it again in the rewatch, I was like, ah, oh, yeah, there it is. And then I look up the trivia and it's like, that was improvised by Keanu and they liked it so much they kept it in. And I was like, good choice. Because <laughs> <laughs> that little, little sing-songy way he says it, it also indicates that he's had to say it a lot and that he kind of just has like a, a little spiel. He has a rhythm for he has a it. Little, yeah, he has a little sing-song about it at this point, and it just shows you, <laughs> with the minimal effort of that, shows gives you a history with him. Like, we don't get him a lot, but I get the feeling like he is a sleazy pervert who tours people around to look at underage girls and weird sex stuff going on in his motel. And... Does that get really fully demonstrated in the film with him actually doing stuff? No, not really, but little things like that give you the feeling of dread about his character. So when Elle Fanning doesn't trust him, we don't trust him either because we've seen little moments in which he does have 214, gotta be seen. And you're like, ugh, that's unsettling in its own right. And then later in the movie... It always threw me off that first time the Keanu Reeves invades her bedroom dream sequence dream in question mark that's the one with the knife in the mouth mm. or was it a gun no a knife knife yeah did you think that was a dream um because it cuts did, abruptly not... to her waking up on the floor confused yeah i'm not sure what i was thinking in the moment mm. Yeah, it's, it was it was weird, but I guess that you know that that was after she'd already been intimidated by him, so it was believable that it was 
you know her, her psyche yeah playing on her fears yeah and then you have straight after she's just woken up drowsy on the floor like she's passed out or something then she has the she hears someone trying to unlock her door and then they just kind of strut over to the 214 room and just start beating the fuck out of the girl next door or doing whatever the fuck and mm-hmm. it's just treated like i need to get out of here and then we don't even see her escape somehow from that situation. She's just at Jenna Malone's place, which is not hers, by the way. She's just house-sitting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, was that was that dream sequence that late in the film? I thought that was a bit early. It was that late in the film. It was the reason she left the motel to go to Jenna Malone's place. I, I remember, yeah, she woke up and there was the knocking, but the dream sequence with the knife, for some reason I thought that was earlier in the film. No, no, it is it is that late in the game, I think. Uh, okay. Elle Fanning's in the movie. Uh, she was 16 at the time, turned 17, which is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I won't speak for you, but when we did grow up, her sister, Dakota Fanning, was probably one of the biggest um, child actresses of our time. Um, she was in quite a bit. She was very well known. Dakota Fanning still does stuff. She was in Quentin Tarantino's last movie in which it was weird to see her as a grown-up and even weirder to see that Quentin got Dakota Fanning to do some crazy foot fetish shit for him on mm-hmm. camera, but whatever, that's Quentin. Um, I'm familiar with Dakota Fanning. I don't know if you are. Um, so it was weird for me watching this, seeing like, oh, it's Dakota Fanning's younger sister in this weird, crazy movie. Like That added an extra layer to me of... I don't know, something weird, like something disturbing about the movie of having like, you know, this actual young person, like an actual 16-year-old playing an actual 16-year-old is is good in the first place. But also just, you know, this is the younger sibling of a symbol of innocence in our childhood, in a way, like Dakota Fanning, you know, being the kind of typical cute child of our youth, representative of innocence and purity and all that. It was kind of added an extra ickiness to this film that it's like the younger even the younger sibling of the symbol of innocence in this movie becomes fucked up and corrupted <laughs> um what did you think of our main character jesse i like i said throughout the whole first two-thirds of the film it was it was following her and her journey so mm. i did enjoy uh following her mm. uh seeing th- there was a there was a lot of a lot of storytelling going on with um talking about how you slowly learn bits about her like you know her parents are dead mm. she's underaged and just seeing how everyone responds to her uh sometimes warmly but mostly rather coldly and professionally um it did buy you into the tone of the film which is all about you know the the sort of exploitation of these I almost said idols, but that's last week. No, the the models. Mm, mm. Um, you didn't feel disappointed or frustrated with how her character turns out by the end of the movie? You know, you have this nice girl who turns into an evil girl. Maybe if we got a bit more of it, but then there was a fair bit. Um, I feel like it was mostly highlighted by her ditching the the boyfriend and her last interaction. Um, mm. I, I was, I was fine with it. I was fine but with it. Was, it, it was, I was fine. Yeah, I was going to say it was sad, but I was fine with it. Um, 
Was it sad? Oh, I don't know. I did not feel sad for her in a way. Um, I'm also more familiar with these type of horror stories too, in which you know the character of innocence becomes drunk on power and they reap what they sow type of thing. Obviously, she doesn't deserve to be fucking eaten, but she was like a very bad person by the a very vacuous hollow selfish person by the end so it didn't feel like a complete like oh boo hoo she 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 met a bad end like with other type of of movies like how we talked about with pumpkin head for instance in which in pumpkin head people were trying to do the right thing and they just got killed left and right because they were bodies to be killed in the monster movie yeah this i was like look it's not great um, but even in her dying moments, as she's like bleeding out and she's like feeling like Ugh, I'm dying, all that there was, and again, this is just me picking up from it. It still felt like um, felt like she was still a little drunk on power. Like she's looking up at the moon, and she's kind of as she's dying in her last breath, she's also like posing as well like her body's in a horrified position and it's in a cool pose but also like her face she kind of like rests her face in that model face and i was like even in her dying moments i don't think she really learned the error of her ways (laughs) yeah i I guess i'm looking at it more from the angle of like a irony or a tragedy like Mm. seeing what the world made her become and just remembering what she was like before she became that well she became a disposable person and with disposable people you just you know you can get rid of them and you move on to the next pretty young thing they yeah they consumed her innocence for themselves yes and and the cutting off of her life means you know there's no chance of you know redemption or returning to what once was no i think really when she leaves the boyfriend behind, that's when, for the audience, she's properly in that territory of, like, there's no coming back for her, really. Like, I know it seems yeah. pretty, you know, cold to say that, but in terms of the cinematic language, when she yeah. leaves him behind, she's leaving behind the last shred of herself because he's the only thing left that's advocating for her individuality and her personhood, and she disregards that. <laughs> Yeah, j- just before ditching him, he even had that line of, like, is this really the world you want to be in? And, you know, when she ditches him, that's indicating that she says yes. Well, well, it's not even it's not even just that. It's, do you want to be like them? And she's like, please, they want to be like me. Like, <laughs> that's how that's true. out of touch she is at that point. Um, what... We talked about a lot of visual elements. I know that you didn't necessarily care for a lot of the visuals, but were there any visuals that were striking to you or you thought were particularly great? Um, well, like I said, the, the one where she was against the wall, that one made a lot more mm. sense. Um, I really enjoyed the whole bathroom scene. Mm. Uh, you know, mm. the the looks on... What was her name? Abby Lee? Yeah, Abby Lee, yeah. Like, the, obviously, I liked her line about the ghost, but obviously... Um, her appearance also matched the lines. Yeah. Um, the whole sequence. Honestly, a lot of the sequences around that runway model guy. Mm. Um. His again, he wears his personality on his sleeve. Um, you can tell exactly what's going through his head. You know, he's staring at the thing instead of the model who's trying to audition for him. Uh, and then when he sees 
uh, Elle Fanning immediately stares at her, wide-eyed, mouth slightly mm. open. You know exactly what's going on with him. Yeah, that chintzy music that play as well of like that typical like. <laughs> Still in line with the music of this movie, but that kind of music you hear when the character has, like, love at first sight. Yeah. I, I guess I guess the visuals I'm talking about relate more to acting, though. Mm. My favourite visual in the movie, and it was my favourite the first time, there's a level of it in which I find it funny. That makes me mm-hmm. enjoy it. And I don't know necessarily if there is supposed to be a comedic intent there. But I think maybe because I don't know about you, but I appreciate that as pretentious as this film may be, even on my first watch, I like the fact that it doesn't feel like it's taking itself so seriously. Do you have that sentiment at all, or do you think it was taking itself seriously the entire time? Or too seriously? Because for me, I think it's self-aware that it's a little... Like, I think it, I think it's not taking itself so seriously. It's a good question. I feel like if you asked me right after I watched it, I'd say that it was taking itself seriously, but now that I'm reflecting on it a bit, it's kind of hard to tell. Like, the tone of the last scene in particular, was... Mm. Mm. I don't I don't, don't know how to describe it, but there was a bit more of a... No, I've lost my words. I, I don't know how to describe it, but something about that last scene felt a bit different to the rest of the film. And that's where my favourite shot comes in visually of Abby Lee coming in to see her friend throwing up an eyeball onto the carpet and stabbing out and stabbing her stomach to try and get Elle Fanning out of her. Fuck, that's fucking brutal. My favourite yeah. shot is is Abby Lee with these big sunglasses and the full supermodel get-up that she's got on with the hair, the makeup, and she just has a completely blank, vogue expression on her face, and she just slowly raises up her hand and removes her sunglasses uh, to then lean down and eat the eyeball. But what I love about the removing of the sunglasses is she removes them like a model does. She doesn't remove yeah. them like, oh no, my friend's died. Oh, ooh, I've got to take it off. It's done in that way where you see in the these model videos and, and runways and all that. It's done as an act still. And that shot, I love it. I love it for a multitude of reasons. One of which is I it does make me laugh because I think... When I see a moment like that, I go, I think he, I think he's aware that there's a level of fun to this, because it's still about a movie about a coven of witches in the world of models, and that in itself has a campy element in that basic kernel of that idea, and and whether you agree they're a coven of witches or cult members or whatever, we'll talk about that. But that's what I get out of it. I think when I look at that shot, there's not just that it's funny to me, but it is visually very striking. Just the the image of 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 a, a typical stunning supermodel in these big glasses, looking at her friend who's just thrown up an eye, and she just coldly removes her glasses to then just eat the eyeball, very slowly and methodically, and then put the glass, you know, and just leave and whatnot. I just I don't know, that whole visual sequence just is really striking to me. It makes me unnerved, it makes me laugh, 
and it is just visually nice to look at because he shoots that last sequence in particular as if you are looking at the spread in a magazine of one of these photo shoots. Yeah, it's definitely in a word, it's very surreal. Uh, see, I've always liked the ending. I always, I've always liked that there's more after Elle Fanning's died, and they just like you see them go on and do stuff. And I love the whole mm-hmm. sequence in which the snooty young model is talking about this woman who's trying her best to stay looking young and whatever, and just Abby Lee laughing because we know that they've just eaten Elle Fanning to stay youthful and pretty and young and relevant, <laughs> and. Her just being like, yeah, have you ever, like, have you ever lost a job to another woman? It's like, yeah, yeah, I have. It's like, well, what did you do about it? I ate her. (laughs) (laughs) And then just the other model, ew, gross. (laughs) And he's just thinking it's a joke. It's like, oh, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. Mm. (laughs) I, um... I also really like the visual, and this one's unnerving. It unnerves me. I don't know why. I mean, I do know why. It's gross. The last time we see Jenna Malone, do you remember what was happening with her last time we saw her? Was that her over the grave? No. I No. No, I think last time we see her is, maybe I'm wrong, but one of the last visuals I remember is her doing uh, her naked yoga in front of the moon in her window, and she goes on her back, and she just starts gushing an ungodly amount of blood from her vagina all over the floor. Right, yeah, that's right. Just, I don't know, I, I don't, I mean, I love it visually, like, I'm like, I love it, but it provokes that reaction in me, going, Ugh, I don't, I don't like that, I don't like that, Ugh, it's wrong, it's wrong. <laughs> it's incorrect. It's incorrect. Did you find, um, uh, now this isn't, you know, I chose this for Spooky Month, because although it isn't, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a horror movie type, it does definitely, for me, capture this feel that you'd want to watch this at this time of year would you agree Mm -hmm. with that yes as slow paced as it was there was you know a running intrigue throughout the film of you know what is the dark turn gonna be it's called the neon demon Mm. um we're getting a lot of these slow quiet scenes um the character is surrounded by these, you know, much darker characters. She she stands out as a very pure mm. character, so it's very much a where is this going? I know it's not going to be great for her scene, uh, movie. Yeah, yeah. I uh, so you said after you had watched it, you know, you had some moments to think back about, and things kind of clicked into place for you with what the movie was doing. What was the movie doing? Like, what was the thing happening that, you know, took you a little while after to kind of click into gear with? Um, so obviously the the other model characters were not just, you know, secondary side characters that were meant to, that, that existed only to illustrate how great our main character was. They were proper antagonists. Mm. Um, their jealousy of her was leading up to an act that, in a way, kind of turns them into the protagonists for the last 15 minutes of the film. Mm. Um, so a lot of the scenes with them stuck out a lot more in, in terms of like, oh, when I rewatch this, or if I rewatch this, you know, they're, they're going to definitely stick out a lot more because, as you say, I, I'll know what's coming. 
Um, hmm. Yeah, so so all their desires to be like her in any way leading up to them eating her hmm. in an attempt to that uh, all kind of click together a bit more. So do you think that they're witches? I think maybe I'd lean more towards occultic than witches, mm. but again, I'd I'd have to rewatch it and and get a proper uh, mm. proper opinion, proper analysis. Yeah, I don't know necessarily. I kind of just got the witchy vibes, especially from Jenna Malone. You see all of her tattoos that she has and her kind of chilling out with all the fauna and flora near the graveyard with, with with at the grave that she's sitting in and it just gave me a lot of not just occult vibes but kind of witchy vibes especially cinematic witchy vibes i've also been um watching a lot of witchy type movies at later the vivitch and the love witch and you know hocus pocus of course is one that you watch at this time of year and uh, you know not so much witchy but still that kind of atmosphere uh hereditary and, and midsummer also have that kind of stuff as well the kind of paganistic occult witch atmosphere and i associate these characters with being that with jenna malone kind of being the head one because she's kind of, you know, she seems like the the leader out of the three of them. She seems like the one who's got it all together. Um, and the other two are kind of, you know, just the 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 followers. The, the and then you have the bionic one. I like to call her. It's just too much for her. Evidently, she just can't handle it, and she feels like she needs to kill herself. Do you think that? And I know that, you know, you didn't care for the movie this much and you probably haven't thought of stuff like this, but just just, just off the cuff, do you think mm-hmm. at the end when that chick throws up the eyeball and she's like, I need to get her out of me, what do you think is happening there with her? Do you think that she's feeling psychologically guilty or do you think that her body is physically rejecting having Elle Fanning in her or that she's too weak to consume this innocence while the others are perfectly fine doing so. What do you think was happening there? Right, so is she feeling regret or is she having a biological reaction? Or even, a, uh, you know, a, a magical reaction, perhaps, because, you know, maybe she's not spiritually powerful enough to even consume the greatness that was Elle Fanning. <laughs> um, I think it might have for me, it might have been a bit more of a regret angle, because if mm. you look at the fact that she and the other model both ate uh, Elle Fanning, and the fact that only one of them's getting sick, um, again, it could just be a, a spiritual thing, but I, I think it was going for a more regretful angle, um, especially at the end when she was saying, you know, I need to get her out of me. Um, yeah, but that character out of the two of them, out of the two models, she was the one that never liked Elle Fanning and never treated her nicely ever. Well, um, Abby Lee never liked her either, but they did have that bathroom sequence and a few other moments in which, it, to me, it felt like Abby Lee and, uh, and Elle Fanning's characters seemed more in tune with one another while that one she was like i'm the bionic woman and i'm always better than you she was the one that was like so your parents died huh fuck you (laughs) yeah well i i I mean i see it a bit more of like an irony thing like the other one uh who was a bit more open about her emotions i saw that as being more like 
sure of herself, like, yes, I do not regret eating her, whereas the other one who didn't speak much, maybe that could indicate that she wasn't as sure of herself when she was just going through the motions, mm. and in mm. the end, she had to confront her psyche, which says, you know, I did a bad thing, and whether they're the regret or some sort of spiritual connection um, made her body reject having Elle Fanning in her, mm. uh either definition it shows like a certain weakness whether it's of the mind or of the spirituality yeah i took it as a, a very similar to you in a lot of ways although on my rewatch i'm trying to open up to the understanding more so of how does this work in the magic side of the story if there is even any magic in here like maybe they are just cannibalistic bitches and they're crazy but you know if i'm going to lean into the occult aspect of it a part of me wonders if it is that it is a rejection because out of the three of them again three being important because you know the triad and that goes with the triangle earlier in the movie and all that whatever she is the weak link Throughout the entire movie, she's the one that has been criticized for being fake, that she's the one with no actual beauty of her own, but she's manufactured, and she's the one out of the three that is the weak link out of them, and at the end, she's still the weakest, and she can't handle the pure power of Elle Fanning, because Elle Fanning was a neon demon. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um did you uh uh there were lots of surprising elements in the movie uh you didn't know what the movie was going to be and what it was going to be about it had necrophilia it had keanu reeves being evil and creepy it had cannibalism it had a lot of stuff going on what were what was the was there any moments of that where you felt like it took it too far for you um, I think with the state I was in, just watching the film, thinking that it was really long, I was just accepting it as it came. Being like, oh, you want to do necrophilia now? Go ahead. <laughs> I think maybe I was a bit more cynical at that point. Mm. Yeah, I didn't think so on my on my rewatch. First time I was like, necrophilia scene, I'm like, oh, come on, we get it, she's crazy. We just saw the scene in which she tried to rape Elle Fanning. Right. Did you like the trivia that like groping the dead body was I, also like an improvised? I thing? don't know what that means. Like, was that not a real woman that was pretending to be a cadaver? Was was that like a a prop that they made? Sorry, what are you asking? So, in the real world of making the movie, Jenna Malone sitting on top of this—is it a real woman pretending to be a cadaver, and Jenna Malone's molesting her, or was it like? Uh, like a uh, you know, a prop made to look like a woman. Are you saying is the was the person lying down an actress? Yeah. playing a dead body or yeah, or was it? Well, was it like a a a mannequin thing made to look like one? What I'm saying is that interesting trivia. But I was thinking, was that a real woman that she just decided to improvise molesting and making out with, or what was what was like? I don't know. <laughs> Do you? I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I would hope it was a mannequin if they improvised molestation. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I um I you know, I I 
do love the audacity of this movie having like all the taboo things. All they needed to do was kill a baby and that would have been like all of the things. Kill a baby and a dog. Yeah, yeah, there's no there's no um animal cruelty in this one, huh? No, there was a mountain lion. We don't know what happened, mountain uh, lion. They just got it out of there. Yeah. Uh uh, I'm trying to think what else is there to discuss with the Neon Demon. It's got a lot of stuff going on, and I understand why people wouldn't like this movie. I understand why you didn't like this movie. It has a lot of you have to do the legwork as a viewer to get on board with it, and that can be a little bit too much to ask. I think one of the weaknesses of the movie, um, if I had to say it is, I do wish that there was um, more, and again, I kind of don't want this, but more emotion. Um, I think of stuff like Twin Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me, which this film reminded me of a bit too. And that film had mm-hmm. a lot of heavy emotion. You know, Laura Palmer in that movie, you know, what, Cheryl Lee doing that performance, so fucking great. Um, but at the same time, I don't want that because this is a world about vacuous people who don't really, who are basically sociopaths. Um, so I don't want that, but there was a little part of me that wished I was a little bit more emotionally attached to Elle Fanning at the beginning. So that way, when she makes a downfall, I did feel a little bit thrown off or sorry for her, but I like she's fine i think the performance is great but her character never really has hooked me greatly she is to mm-hmm. me the the you know the sherpa the surrogate character to welcome us into this world we follow her around and then i get attached to other characters like jenna malone the the runway model guy abby lee the bionic woman yeah uh, christina Hendricks, who turned up in one whole scene but she got a credit at the start uh keanu reeves um that would be my thing to say about the movie is I kind of do wish that Elle Fanning was, uh, Jessie was a little bit more, there was just a little bit more to her at the beginning mm-hmm. for me to be invested in. Because I actually did like her in the boyfriend scenes. I liked her moon talk sequence in which she would talk about the moon being an eyeball watching her. I like that stuff. I just kind of wished there was a little bit more of that stuff at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. Like, earlier when we were talking about how um, when my desire for more dialogue wasn't necessarily, like, oh, literally more dialogue, just more of something, you could I could substitute, like, emotions as well for that. Yeah, um, we t- uh, talked about the ending, just to go back to it. You did not like it particularly. Was it them just, like continuing the movie on after killing Elle Fanning or was it the whole killing Elle Fanning and just what did you think about how the movie does just end yeah I guess like I was saying after the film ended and I was piecing together like okay these two model characters they were actually leading up to an ending with them I guess as I was watching it I was still registering the fact that like oh our our main character is gone and the film's still going so (laughs) yeah it's it's just the headspace I was in, wasn't expecting it, and mm. Mm. yeah, just I, 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 I was blindsided. Oh come on! Didn't you, didn't you like that she just ate the eyeball and then just went back to do some photo shoots, probably? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I, I just thought she was hungry after a long day. I mean, model, models, they, they diet a lot. She wasn't even there to model that day. She was just there with her friend. Hmm. Do you think them consuming her actually does work? Like, do you take it at that face value that they consumed her and now they are hot again? I, I think that they think so. Yeah, obviously, but do you do you do you believe that? Do you believe them actually eating L Fanning helped them really? Or do you think it just is happenstance? Now, that is a good question, because the photographer guy certainly gave them work on short notice. Mm-hmm. Thing to consider. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, shit. It's it could be either way. It could be coincidence or it could could be legit occult mysticism. Yeah. At work. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh it's something something to mull over. These are the kind of things that I mull over after watching it. And and one that my wife wanted to ask, um, Rachel uh, and I didn't know the answer, and again, you probably haven't thought about it that much because it's your first watching of it, but thinking back, do you think they were intent, especially Jenna Malone, on killing her from the beginning? Or do you think things just spiraled out and they decided to? Yeah, that that is definitely one of the questions that I had in the back of my mind. Um, probably around the point of the bathroom scene, there were on the side of mm. eating her maybe any maybe even if you want to go a bit later the the scene in the restaurant um but from the very beginning i guess i guess that first scene with them was kind of sizing her up yeah d- deciding like what they think of her well do you remember what jenna malone um, like first says to her when she meets her after she's wiping off the blood from that photo shoot I remember she talks about the look on her face, but I don't think that was the first thing, was it? The first thing I think she says is, you have really nice skin. That's right. You're right. That's right. And stuff like that makes me unsure. I think they were intent on getting her and consuming her from the beginning. Like, find an innocent beauty and consume her. But, you know... I think Jenna Malone became infatuated with her, and she wanted mm-hmm. her, but then when she got rejected, that's when they went, okay, now we're going to consume her, because if you think about it logistically, why would they let the other two models fade away and basically sap up their careers so that Elle Fanning can succeed? Why don't they just kill and eat her now? so that they don't have to have that mental anguish. And I think a part of it is Jenna Malone liked her and liked, like yeah, wanted re- her. Even earlier in this episode when I was talking about the kind of turning point for me, it was after the rejection. That's when the mm-hmm. you know, the really violent stuff, the, the violence motherfuckers started. <laughs> yeah, you want to mention that for context? Yeah. <laughs> So apparently, you all, I'm sure a lot of the listening people know that like directors, one of the typical things they say when starting a shot is action, because it's indicating like, okay, actors, do the thing, do the actions. Um, apparently for this film, instead of saying the word action, the director said, violence, motherfuckers. <laughs> it's very funny, isn't it? <laughs> it's certainly interesting. 
Um, and I think that leads perfectly into talking about Nicholas Winding Refn, the man. I know you don't have much to say on him, but I do want to say some stuff. Um, I'm keen to hear it. First, I'll say, Bartek, I think you would like Bronson. Bronson is far more conventional. It's still artistic. It's still got visually told sequences, but it has more heavy dialogue and it has more... Um, it's a character study film, like, through and through. Mm-hmm. Tom Hardy gives lots of monologues, lots of cool things, and lots of fun theatrical things. And it's a true story about a true guy, and you would like it. I think you would want to check out Bronson. Drive, Okay. it's a great film. And I think you would like Drive better than this one. Well, Drive is similar to this in a lot of ways, where the color palette, lots of visual storytelling. But I think you would like Drive a little bit more because Drive is um, a bit more conventional, I guess, in comparison to this one. It's a little less arty, but it's a love story at the center of it. And you Mm -hmm. tend to like your love stories a little bit more than I do when it comes to movies. Yeah, I guess. And that one... You, I think you would like Drive better than this. Uh, Only God Forgives I do not like, and I do not recommend it to many people, if any. It's not like it's a terrible film. It's just, it is, it's as if the Neon Demon did take itself 100% seriously. Like, Only God Forgives is so up its ass with how po-faced it is. Um, but to talk about Winding Ref and the Man, I hate him. I don't like him very much. He's very annoying. <laughs> um, every time he talks, it ruins everything. Um, he's not like Darren Aronofsky, where he tells you what the movie is about. Like, yeah, show the mother. It's the book of Genesis. And then once you hear that, you're like, oh, well, there's no point. In, in, like, there's no ambiguity. Nicholas Winding Refn just thinks like he's the fucking best ever because he made Drive. And I mm-hmm. hate him because of that. Because like, I think Drive's a great movie. And I think he... His films I like, but him as a person, I just shut him out of my mind. Sometimes I'll engage with him, like, watch clips of him, because he's incredibly funny, though. Like, he has no self-awareness in my brain of how much of a ponce he comes across as. He is so... And that's why... Um, and he's so weird that it makes sense why him and Hideo Kojima are friends, because those are two people who... I think lack any self-awareness. <laughs> and they're weirdos who tell stories in weird ways that are confusing. And Winding Refn hates other directors a lot. I think he hates oh. Lars von Trier. I think he hates him, which is fair enough. I don't like Lars either. Obviously, obviously him and Friedkin don't get along. I think he had a whole thing in which he's like, the guys from the get, that, that the guest was a ripoff of Drive. And he just, like, slammed those guys. Like, yeah, they're just ripping off me. They suck. <laughs> and They're ripping off the other film that you recommended for Spooky Mind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, a part, yeah, part of that was on purpose. Um, but I find him totally annoying. But every now and then I am captivated to see what he has to say. Because unlike Lars von Trier, I think Nicholas Winding Refn does want to actually say things. Um, mm-hmm. Lars von Trier, I think, is far more of a prankster. I think he's far more of a joker. I think he is far more of a, I'm going to provoke you to get a reaction and nothing more. Um, 
and I at least think that uh, Nicholas has stuff to say, and I think this movie had stuff to say. Like we haven't we we touched briefly upon, but obviously one of the big main things that this movie touches upon is that that you know how women get you know how how the industry of models and and men in general just chew women up and spit them out like they're nothing that that these women get yeah. hollowed out and that is saying something or like we said before the the um the fact that Elle Fanning thinks that she has no self-worth as a woman and it's only her looks that define her and she genuinely believes that and that's a sad thing to think about, but it is something that the movie contends with. There is that scene we talked about where the the guy is like, well, is she wrong? You didn't even notice her unless it was for her looks. And it's like, look, we want to be idealistic and say, no, that isn't the case. But honestly, is he 100% wrong? Is she 100% wrong? No, not necessarily. And that's what makes it complicated. And that's at least how this movie presents it. You could argue, and I I don't fully agree with it either. Like, I think Elle Fanning's character should have uh, embraced who she was outside of her looks. But at the same time, it's the, it's the machine of society. She's a pretty young white blonde lady. And there's nothing more to her than that. No one cares about what she feels or thinks about, so she doesn't. So she loses the idea of who she is, and she's nothing but her looks now. How's Yeah, looks, and she was instructed to tell lies. Yeah, and that's all she is now. Um, yeah, so, Bartek, I'm going to link you, and this is going to be linked on our social medias as well, the Winding Refn versus... Um, uh, Versus William Friedkin conversation because boy, William Friedkin is like a crazy guy himself. Like halfway through, mm-hmm. he just starts yelling, "Someone call an ambulance for this Looney Tune!" <laughs> like he's he's like, it's too you know, it is two crazies hitting at each other, and it's amazing. <laughs> I'm I think I'm like. 20% sure I might have seen a clip from this, but I'm not sure fully. I, I'm curious to see if it's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um. I guess one of the final things I've got to ask um, before we kind of just wrap up and give our recommendations and not in here next week's uh, recommendation for a movie. We mentioned David Lynch briefly throughout this episode. You seem to mm-hmm. like David Lynch as a storyteller, as a filmmaker. You enjoy Twin Peaks stuff. Yeah, I I've seen Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet. I think from here. Yeah, all all of the Twin Peaks stuff and Blue Velvet, and let's just say Twin Peaks: The Return. That does a lot of slow, methodical pacing, lots of visual storytelling, and all that. And you seem to like it in that. What about David Lynch's approach to? this area works for you far better than uh, the Neon Demons approach, because there is overlap here. That is true. Maybe, and I hope this isn't a uh, a cop-out, but I think maybe with, with some of the Twin Peaks Return stuff, there was a sort of... Um, is inevitability the word I'm looking for? The... Mm. A sort of sense of, like, there isn't as much hope in understanding what's going on because David Lynch kind of comes across like like some stuff that he shows mm. might only make sense in his head. So 
I guess maybe I see a bit more of a comedic side to that kind of stuff. But yeah, but uh, um, not not to be rude, but I will say, I'm a fan of David Lynch. Um, that does kind of sound a bit like a cop out, where one director, David Lynch, you just say like, "Well, I just give up because I it, I know it makes sense in his head, but not to me." So I just find it kind of amusing to look at. Well, yeah, why doesn't that work with the Neon Demon? And in all honesty, not to not to be contrarian to, I don't get the feeling in the Neon Demon that only this makes sense to Nicholas Winding Refn and nobody else, like I do with David no, Lynch. That is that is. That is true. I did get the impression that there was stuff to get in the Neon Demon. Um, maybe, maybe it's just because I was in the the right headspace for the Return and not for the Neon Demon. I, I, yeah. This film reminded me of Blue Velvet a lot, especially the opening credit sequence. I got just Blue Velvet <laughs> vibes. But I just wanted to bring that up. I think also you like David Lynch as a person. You like him as an actor. You like you you know like I think you just like him, David Lynch as a character. Yeah, I, I definitely have an understanding of who he is. I didn't know anything about Refn. Yeah, and maybe yeah, you know, I'm not saying that you should, but maybe down the road you can get into see how you feel and kind of you know approach Refn in that similar way, and maybe one day you'll come back to this movie and see how it how it feels once you've kind of ingratiated yourself into that into that world. I personally think. Mm-hmm. That out of his films, this is probably the uh, most uh, out of the ones I've seen. I won't say for all of them, but probably out of his more mainstream ones, probably his most artistic film in that regard, like avant-garde. But I still think that this movie stands on its own merits, in which you don't have to be familiar with Refn as a person, as an auteur, to enjoy it. I think if you go in with a certain type of headspace, you can get something out of this, and. Like I said, I think it's a specific kind of feeling of horror and October feels that this movie evokes that is very specific for people. Like I said, I'm Mm -hmm. a big fan of this type of movie, not just, you know, witches type of movie, but these type of slow burn, visually told, dreamy, nightmarish stories um, I'm a bit more accustomed to that. And I think people who are into that world a bit more in films would get something out of this, not just Refn fans. Um, yep. Yeah, like I would love to hear you watch a movie like The Vavitch or something, or The Love Witch, two very different movies, but those movies are very slow and visual and weird. Um, but yeah, I think... This movie's worth checking out. I think it's really benef- I think it's actually really a great movie to have a rewatch about as well. Like I'm really keen on watching it again down the road. Like I'm not going to wait 4 years like I did this time, but I really <laughs> really enjoyed it and just a little thing. I'm happy that Abby Lee has gotten acting work since this movie. Like this is the first thing I've seen her in. She was in Gods of Egypt. Okay. She was the one riding the big snake, and I kept saying, she's in the Neon Demon, and she's great in that movie. Because <laughs> she has a striking look about her. You can see why she was a model, right? Like, she has just these weird eyes and eye socket sockets and brow. I don't know, it's very distinct. Obviously, she's an Australian, too, so that makes her distinctive in an American movie. But, uh... <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. I'm happy that she's got acting work. She's apparently right now in, I don't know if she's a leading role, but I know she's in uh, a HP Lovecraft related show, uh, Lovecraft Country. I haven't watched it, but I'm glad to see that she's kind of gone beyond that because I have a soft spot for people who break out of the mold of, oh, they're just a musician or, oh, they're just a model. And they break out of that and then they go beyond just that and they get into other worlds like acting and theatre and so on and so forth. And I have a soft spot for, for, for people who are managing to break through that. And I hope that she continues to do stuff because she was my favourite aspect of this movie other than just the actual visuals and the direction. Mm-hmm. So... Would you recommend the Spartak? Yeah, it's it's interesting. There's two headspaces. Either if it sounds like something you're not into, don't check it out. But if you are keen on checking it out, watch it twice, I guess. And I'm currently in this middle camp of I've only seen it once. Mm, mm. So, yeah, make up your mind of whether you're going to watch it not at all or twice, is what I'll say. Yeah, um... I'm glad that, you know, I'm really glad that I did decide that we picked this for this for a discussion because it feels like, you know, you've gotten some good stuff out of actually sitting out and talking about it because there are movies that just really do benefit from actually verbalizing it out loud and kind of sometimes yeah, I... you go, hey, I didn't think about that in my brain, but it came out of my mouth and it, hey, that lines up. There was no doubt in my head that I was going to have an interesting experience with this one because it's one that I'm a lot more vocal about, that I didn't like it, and that I knew that you picked it for a reason. There's going to be a lot to discuss and a lot of, you know, a lot of opportunity for me to finally think about it on a deeper level than just me in my room alone. So, yeah, I am, I'm happy with this episode. Mm. And did you watch it? Did it you is, watch it in the dark? Um, I think I had my room light on. That's something in recommendation. It's a great movie to watch in pitch blackness. Makes your eyes sting. <laughs> yeah, the I I think as I've grown up, I don't I no longer watch things in darkness. I think I always have a light on. It's just better on the eyes. Some movies but you agree, there are some movies that do benefit from a good in the dark watch. Like you don't want to watch a two thousand and one Space Odyssey in like at, at midday. With your yeah, curtains I mean, open. Th- there's a reason why there's a reason why cinemas turn off the lights. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's the Neon Demon. Uh, I knew it would be a bit of a divisive one, but I think I finally cracked it. I feel. I think I finally found one that I'm like, Bartek through gritted teeth is like, it's not that I hated it, but I did not like it. <laughs> like, I think this is one of the ones you've been I, most I negative about from the get go. Maybe our discussions kind of warmed you up, but. You found, I found it kind of like, ooh, Vatek did not like this. <laughs> I wouldn't say gritted teeth, but I knew that I was going to... How do I describe it? I, I guess I was going to be a bit more vulnerable about how I am going to say negative things about it, but I don't want to come across like, you know, like, oh, no, this movie sucks, Ryan. Everything you're saying is wrong. I, I wanted to be open-minded about it. So not gritted teeth, but there, yeah, there was an element of like, you know, I've, I've got to... I've got to be 110% for this episode. I can't just settle on 100. Well, we're going to be doing a listening people's recommendation for next episode, Bartek. Uh, mm-hmm. And we're going to be doing a movie that I have very similar relationship with this movie on, except for instead of feeling, did I love it? Did I hate it? I hate it. I hated it. 
but I've never rewatched it. We're going to do Mulholland Drive, directed by David Lynch, recommended from our friend Reese. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, out of his filmography, this is the one that really rubs me up the wrong rubbed me up the wrong way when I saw <laughs> it, but I've never seen it again, and I have always been keen on seeing it because a lot of people, Reese, our friend who recommended it, has often said like, "Wow, you really didn't like that film? I think that's probably one of his most." most engaging and most personal and kind of most human film. So we'll see. <laughs> we will see. Yeah, I've heard the name. Drive. I don't know much about it, but I'm keen. Maholland Drive, which also has an Australian actress in it. Um, <laughs> Naomi Watts, uh, which of course is a David Lynch staple at this point. <laughs> what? Mrs. Dougie, Mrs. Dougie Jones. <laughs> of course. Yes. <laughs> Uh, well, until then, listening people, you can find us on the social medias of Facebook and Twitter. You can email us as well at spitandpolished at gmail.com. And, and yeah, hit us up on all those and let us know your feelings, opinions on this movie and on Nicholas Winding Refn as a person and his filmography. What do you think? Do you think he deserves all the hype that he thinks he does? Or is he not as good as he says he is? <laughs> And if you are Nicholas Winding Refn, give us your answer to those questions. Yeah, and if, you know, if you, yeah, just let us know what you think about this film, because I, you know, this is a film I'm very aware that many people do not like, and many people really do love, and I'm just keen on knowing. Um, We're wrapping up Spooky Month, Bartek. I, I, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, uh, I know you and I are not the hugest fans of horror movie stuff, but... um. One of the things I yep. wanted to ask was, and this can be a broad answer, but like, what are some of the, I'm trying to think how to ask it. What are some spooky elements that you really enjoy seeing in stories? Like, for instance, I have a real affinity for, for like I said earlier, occult and witches in stories. This October, I've been really watching a lot of witch-related media. I really like female-centric horror stories, even stuff outside of witches, like The Babadook, for instance. I really like the aesthetic and the world of witches that are brought up in stories. What is stuff like that that mm -hmm. works for you? Um, I've always been keen on psychological stuff. Mm. You know, getting into the mind of the people... Having them, you know, question what's real, what isn't real, uh, a lot of stuff like your that. mind fucks. Mind fucks. You know what's one I would recommend for you in your own spare time? Check out David Finch's movie The Game. That's a fun one. The Game. It's uh, got Michael okay. Douglas. Oh, Michael Douglas. You know, it's not David Finch's uh, best film ever made, but it's a it's a good one for this time of year, and I think you would I think you would get some enjoyment out of it. And you like Michael Douglas, ever especially since we did Falling Down. He was good in Falling Down. Very He's very good. good in the game as well. So that's what I recommend that you should, you could check out uh, at some time while the October time remains. I was just curious on asking that because I've been really reflecting while on my own what stuff I've been watching and what kind of things appeal to me about, uh, you know, these spooky or horror-related pieces of media. I also really like um, when our characters get uh, paranoid in movies, uh, The Thing being a classic example of that. Mm -hmm. 
but that's it. Uh, and, and it goes without saying, erotic thrillers. Oh, yeah. I mean, I felt a little bad not choosing a black erotic thriller for this year, but I was like, I'm not fucking waiting another year to do The Neon Demon and The Guest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fucking doing those. And no one recommended for us to do a black erotic thriller, so maybe next year. I hear there's one called Fatal Affair, which is a redo of Fatal Attraction, so sounds good. Okay, interesting. Uh, any spooky words that you want to leave us off on, Bartek? Um, spooky words. Uh, boo's a good one. Boo. I like boo. Um, it's a little cheesy, but blair sometimes kind of fun. Mm. And you can't really go wrong on... <laughs> How about you, Ryan? Uh, I would go with spooze. <laughs> <laughs>